Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for church? Come on. It's 11 a.m. You should have had at least one cup of coffee. Let's try that again. Who's excited for church? Come on, if you haven't met, my name is Ali, and next week, we didn't announce this, I want to announce this, we are having a celebration, not just for the kiddos, but for the adults. Next week is baptisms. Come on. We already have someone sign up. If you want to take your first step of faith, of obedience towards Jesus, we would love to dunk you twice because you waited so long. Come on. And uh, it's a party. I'm telling you, if there's ever a time to bring a friend, I'm preaching a sermon that even you're going to get saved again next week. Uh, it's, it's one of those that I spent four weeks working on. It's going to be good. And we are on a collection of talks called We Are Bold, because bold is not where you go. It's, it's who you are. And uh, it's an identity. It's, it's an ethos of our church. And uh, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about generosity is our goal, honor is our heart. Last week, we talked about Jesus is our joy. And uh, our theme around this collection of talks has really been this, that what you value determines what you do. Uh, look at your money, look at how you spend your time, your, your hobbies, your energy, your focus. W- what you're doing is actually first determined by what you believe in value. Some of you love sushi way too much. Come on. Some of you love G- uh, Starbucks more than you do Jesus. We won't tell anyone, but it's the truth. And uh, the, the heart behind the sermon is why do we do what we do? And I'm going to quote the great theologian, Jay-Z. Let me reintroduce myself. Let me try to introduce you why we are as a church. Why would we do what we do? And uh, today's talk is really going to challenge some of you. It's Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 33. When you see on the screen, someone say amen. amen. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first, someone say first, first. or great, must be the very last. And the servant of all. Then he took a child, a little child, whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, but the one who sent me. Uh, we, when we started this church five years ago, we had this theme, this, this phrase that we would say every single time we gathered. And some of you have forgotten it. I'm trying to bring it back. It's on the screen. I mean, you say it again. We are a bunch of nobodies who will serve anybody, love anybody, because we don't care about becoming a somebody. That's the church you joined. Some of you are like, I didn't know that. You're welcome for telling you who we are. And one of our core values is this on the screen. Servanthood is our spirit. Serving isn't something we do. Listen, it's our identity. It's who we are. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, let me pray before we begin. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this faith community. God, five years, you kept us alive during COVID. You kept us alive at 5 o'clock, and here we are doing exactly what you called us to do, reach those who are far from God. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just come to church. We would realize we are the church. Change us. Transform us. We didn't come for information. We came, Jesus, for transformation. God, there are people in this room who, who before they, they, they serve you, Jesus, they need to know who you are. God, would you reveal yourself through this sermon? Would you make yourself alive and known, Jesus? And for those that call you by name and worship you and love you, God, change us, transform us. May we walk out this place looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? It's a tradition. We get rowdy before we begin. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this, but 
Uh, we love to be great. No one wants to be second. No one wants to be average. That's why when my wife and I go shopping, she goes to the, to the Nordstrom, she goes, give me the best dress. She never says, give me an average dress. I want to overpay for something that looks ugly. No, we never do that. And when we ask friends for a new restaurant, we go, tell me the worst restaurant you want to. I want to go to an average steakhouse. No, we want the best steakhouse. And we go to the movie theaters, we want the box office, the one that's making the most money, the ones that everyone's watching. We don't want to watch average movies. We want the best because we are hardwired for greatness. And I, I, when I was eight years old, my, I started beginning playing baseball, and I got some of my competitive spirits just in my blood, you know, and some of it's from my friends, and some of it I got from my mom. And I, she's in the room, so i got to be very careful how I say this, but... I, as an eight-year-old, I'd be in the dugout, and my mom would be in the state, and she was the obnoxious parent. Yeah! Whistling. My friends were like, who's that woman in the stands? I'm like, I don't know. She was my Uber lady. She dropped me off, and I, she just wanted to stay for the game. I don't know. And, and then you, you sit in your heart, you're like, I'm never going to be that way when I become a parent. And then you become a parent, and then you become that person. And my daughter's three, and three years ago, she was in gymnastics, and I'd show up on Saturdays at 9 o'clock. She'd go through these tumbles, these exercises, and at the end of the class, all the parents are coming, all the grand, everyone's there with their cameras, and of course, I'm the one in the corner, come on, let's go! And they'd be like, you must be the dad. I'm like, no, I'm the Uber driver, actually. I don't, I don't know who she is. I just dropped her off that I'd stay, and... We, we are hardwired for greatness. No one wants to be average. The problem is we don't understand the pathway to greatness. Everyone wants to be great. No one knows how to get there, though. And that's the context of Mark chapter 9 is Jesus talking about greatness. And it begins in, let me read this verse, and they came to Capernaum. And the, uh, this is first century. They didn't travel with Uber cars and, and, and camp. They walked. They, they traveled from city to city and and what's crazy is that this is a road trip that Jesus, Jesus anybody love road trips? Come on, I, I would rather sit in a car for six hours, pray for my wife, then go to the airport, take your shoes off, go through security. I'm Middle East, they're checking everything. I, I don't want to go through that. I would much rather drive than sit next to someone. You, you ever sit next to someone and you know they farted, but they don't call it? It's like, what, why am I paying someone to go through this pain? And I, I would much rather go through a road trip. And as a member of the little kid, my parents were like, Allie, we're going to this and that. I'm like, yeah. And then we get in the car. I'm like, Dad, are we there yet? My dad's like, we haven't left the driveway. Stop asking. And that's, that's, that's what greatness looks like. I wrote down like this. Everyone wants to arrive at greatness. No one wants to go on the trip. You want the title. You don't want the towel. You want the purpose of greatness, not the process of greatness. And the disciples, they're on the road arguing about greatness when they're with greatness. He's the embodiment. Think how crazy that is that the person who embodies greatness is walking with you and you're arguing about who's the greatest. And there are people in this church that you're, you're exploring faith. You don't know who Jesus is. And we, we, love, we create this church not only for Christians, but for unbelievers. And so if you're new to faith, welcome. Uh, you, this is a place where you belong before you believe. And we, we love helping people on the journey of faith. And if you're, if you're new to Christianity, let me just tell you, there are more books written about Jesus than anyone else in human history. 
more songs written to him than anyone else in human history. More paintings painted of him than anyone else in human history. Why? Because he's the greatest leader ever. Time Magazine every year comes out with the person of the year. In 2000, they came out with the person of the millennia. Who's the most important person in human history? Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, not just for historical reasons while we look, it's for spiritual reasons. That what he did, this is just give us a book or religion. He came to die on a cross for our sins. I remember I was having lunch with an atheist cousin of mine, and he, him and I go back and forth about religion. He goes, I don't want to follow anyone unless they're willing to die for me. He goes, I want William Wallace from Braveheart. I'm like, bro, I got him. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, my God died for me. You can have him too. And so, many, so, many, so often we, we have politicians who use us for their own good. They want us to serve them. Our God is so great, he serves us. Amen? Anyone grateful for Jesus? Come on. And while they're walking and discussing greatness, how crazy it is, Jesus notices, watches the, the verse, says, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Let me just give you some blues clues about the Bible. Jesus doesn't ask questions because he, he wants an answer. He's asking questions because he wants to give you one. He already knows. He wants to lead you where you don't understand. He goes, but, but they kept quiet because they know. <laughs> they, they know they shouldn't have been arguing about this. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And watch. Let me just pause right there. It's so easy when we read these verses. Like, oh, my gosh. They're so, like, savage. Like, first century people are so stupid. Oh, my God. I'm from Silicon Valley, Pastor Alley. I would never argue about these things. And C.S. Lewis calls this uh, intellectual snobbery. I call it Silicon Valley hubris. You think because you're, you're better, because you know more, you're smarter. We've advanced. And listen, you're just as jacked up as these people. Trust me. I pastor you people. You are just as jacked up. The only difference between you and them is we didn't take your mistakes and put them for everyone else to read. Let me prove it to you. The number one book category on Amazon is not how to love your spouse. Christianity, by the way. It's not how to love your spouse or manage your money or love your enemies. It's the rapture. The rapture. I remember I was at church one time and a dude didn't get out of the car, rolled up in front of the car in his truck, rolled the window down. goes, hey! Points the finger at me. I'm like, bro, what? Because my mom goes to this church. What's your position on tribulation? Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Some of you think I'm praying in tongues. I'm not. Trib is short for tribulation. This dude was a nerd of nerds. In the book of Matthew, the book of Revelation, it talks about when Jesus comes back. It's going to be seven years of chaos right before he comes. And the tribulation is how long we're here for that. Before, middle, or after. I'm like, bro, I'm just starting to get to Thursday. I don't know. Actually, I'm not married. I don't want him to come back until I get married. I want to have sex. Dude drives off angry. And we do this. We focus on things Jesus told us. No one knows the hour. Stop asking. I don't even know. And yet it's the number one book on Amazon, When the Rapture is Happening. You know what our city needs? Not a rapture of us, a rapture of God's love. That's what the city needs. And I love that Jesus responds this way. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first. Someone say first. first. A.K.A. Great. Notice he doesn't shame them for the desire. To say, oh my gosh, you're so sad. You must be Laker fans wanting to be number one and never getting there. 
prophet to the nations. That's what they call me. <laughs> Jesus doesn't rebuke them. You shouldn't have this desire. How, great? No, I'm great. All he does is he redirects their desires. How you get there, the pathway of greatness. This is this. The purpose of greatness is not the problem. It's the pathway. Everyone in this room wants to be great. The problem is you don't know how to get there. And so often we take the good thing that God gives us and we pervert it. The devil does this too. Take, take for example, sex. It's a gift. Our God invented sex. When Adam and Eve were getting on, God's like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? He's like, Psh, they're loving what I created. And yet every time I teach on sex, someone gets angry because there's shame around that subject. We shouldn't talk about this. And at the same time, it's the opposite. We build our identity on it. I am my sexuality. I am my sexual preferences. And there's this tension of greatness. Either you're afraid to be great because there's shame, or you become a wide receiver in the NFL, and you make it about you. But what is greatness? I wrote the question down like this. What is greatness? How does God define greatness? Sometimes the easiest way to talk about something is to talk about what it's not. What is greatness? What is it not in the scriptures? And the first thing, I didn't write this down, but I, I want you to write this down. Greatness, according to the scriptures, is not, to be great in our culture is to be known. We think the more I'm known, the more great I am. This is why when you post something on Instagram or Facebook, you check it 25 times. Because your greatness is determined by people's engagement. The more they like it, the more they tweet it, the more they comment, the, you're earning your greatness. You're earning your value. And often this is what we do is we're, we're working and we're striving. We're, we're working our butts off to be great for the praise of man. And God says, that's, that's not my definition. Jesus has a very different definition. It's and Jesus, he's going to give us the answer, but I wrote down like this. If serving is beneath you, listen, greatness is beyond you. It's not about likes. It's not about that blue check mark next to your name. It's not about the title on your chest. It's about the towel that goes over your arm. And it's challenging because we have this desire to be great, but no one wants to serve. And it's crazy. We look at the scriptures. Every great leader was first a servant. David was a servant serving sheep before he was a king. Elijah was plowing a field behind an oxen before he was next to God preaching sermons for him. Joseph was assistant to the regional manager <laughs> in prison before he was the second to the king of Pharaoh. The 12 disciples were not seminary students riding an escalade. They were fishermen and tax collectors that were servants of all. Everyone wants to be great, but no one wants to serve and uh, it, so often we think our greatness is being known and we spend so much time trying to become famous trying to become celebrities and we think if I, no one sees me and no one knows me then I can never be great and it's countercultural. Jesus says it's not about being known it's something different you're already known by the creator of the universe second thing that the world says it's, it's about being better than those around you that my worth is determined by comparison. My kids are cuter than yours. My car is better than yours. That's why, that's why this house isn't good enough. I, I need to expand it. So it's better. that's how I measure my worth. That when I'm, that I have the least amount of things, that, that must mean I'm the least among my friends. 
and we take our eyes off of Jesus and we, we measure our worth by, based on who's next to us. And this isn't just in the world. We do this in church too, by the way. We, we measure our greatness as Christians based on how we sin. Oh, I didn't murder anyone. I, I would never do that, Pastor Ali. Oh my gosh, I'm not that evil. And so we judge others because we sin differently than them. Because we're comparing. I wrote down like this, growth of your character stops when comparison begins. You'll never be who God created you to be when you're comparing your worth and your value based on who's next to you. This is why some of you, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're successful, but you feel like a failure. That's why people have midlife crises at 40. Because like, what have I accomplished? You've done a lot. You just don't feel it. I have a picture of what this looks like. So many people in this room. So you're the guy on top, by the way. Instead of running your race, you're looking to the person who's ahead of you. And your worth is best not on how well you're doing, but that he's better than you. He's further along than you. He has more things than you. Instead of, instead of feeling contentment based on what God has given, the talents, the parents, the kids, the job, the health, you don't feel great. And it's challenging because you have this desire to be great and you're going to work your whole life trying to achieve it. You're just doing it the wrong way. I wrote down like this. Everyone wants to be great. Few want to serve. Few want to serve. Uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus has spent, probably theologians say, three years with his disciples modeling greatness to them. But there are some lessons you can't teach. You can talk about it all day long. Lesson plans, Bible studies, sermons. You have to embody it. Every parent knows this. You can't tell your kids to get off the iPad if you're on the phone. Their kids are deaf. They're just watching you. And there's this phrase, more is caught than taught. Jesus understood that principle. John chapter 13, they come to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're family, friends of Jesus. And in that, in that time, people didn't have Nike kicks looking fresh with their Yeezys. They wore sandals. And it wouldn't be bad if we wore sandals on sidewalks, but they wore sandals on dirt roads. So imagine how nasty and dirty your feet are. My wife will kill me. I take two steps out of the door. Take your shoes off. Um, my left foot is outside the door, honey. Because she doesn't want dirt in the house. Imagine how nasty and dirty the feet of the disciples are when they're wearing sandals and they're walking on dirt all day. And John chapter 13 says that no one had washed their feet. Because in that culture, there would generally be a slave or a servant that would wash everyone's feet but the house didn't have it so the disciples who are so prideful just like us by the way so full of themselves they're with greatness but they don't want to be great they don't not only not wash their feet they refuse to wash each other's feet and Jesus doesn't get angry takes off his robe puts a towel around his waist and he gets down and he begins to wash the disciples feet modeling what faith is, modeling what leadership is. Because yeah. there are some things you can't learn. You have to see it. Yeah. You have to, you have to, it has to become alive to you. 
And this is what Jesus is trying to do. These men have spent three years with Jesus. Why is servanthood our spirit? Because we want to be like the master. Everything he does, we want to do. And so often we, we forget that my title may say CEO or techie, but at the heart, Jesus says, I'm a servant of him. And I want to model this for you. If I can get the two people that I called up pre-service, I want to make the Bible come alive. Uh, this is uh, Angel. Can we give it up for Angel? Come on. And this is Andy. Can we give it up for Andy? Can I get you guys to stand next to each other? Uh, both face that way. Yes, face that way. Put your hand on him, and then you, Angel, put your hand on me. So I'm going to be an Instagram influencer. Uh, you work six, five days a week. I, I'm 25-8. You guys, you peasants don't work and grind the way I do. And uh, you may be a disciple of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Gary V. We're grinding. We're hustling. And so the idea is I'm working hard. I, I'm achieving greatness by getting my BMW, by getting more Instagram followers, maybe a six-pack. And my worth is determined by, my, by the cars I drive, the clothes I have. And the great theologian uh, Montoya says, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. That's, that's my theology right here. And so often we don't, we stop, let me just pause for a moment. We, Jim Carrey says, I wish everyone would become rich and famous. So you realize it doesn't satisfy. And you can go down this path of trying to be great like everyone else, all the influencers, all the people in culture, all the celebrities. And what I love is when people become famous, they go, is this it? I, I gave my life for this. I thought, I thought the bigger house would, would, would fulfill me. And Jesus doesn't rebuke you for wanting to be great. He goes, awesome. I love people who want to live life to the fullest. He doesn't change your desires. What he does is he redirects your desires. If you want to be first, get in the back of the line. If you want to be first, Andy, now you walk in circles. You must be last. The Bible says that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And uh, God doesn't rebuke me for wanting to be great. He just changes how I do it. He just changes. It's not about me being first. I'm going to let everyone else eat at Thanksgiving. I'll go last. That's, that's the goal. You guys can stop. Can we give it up for them? I just wanted to illustrate it. hope it makes sense. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. It's not about your skin color, your height, your gender, your intelligence, or how good you are at sports, or whether you own anything. Anyone in this room can be great according to Jesus, because anyone can serve. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. God wants you to be great this morning. You are hardwired for greatness. The problem is not greatness. It's the pathway. And there are two mindsets this morning that I need to give you so you can become great the way that Jesus wants. You guys ready? Yeah. It's going to challenge some of you. You ready? Yeah. Let's go. Point number one, the mindset of a servant. Church is not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. Anyone ever have a, a, a great experience at a restaurant? Like, oh my gosh, that was the best restaurant ever. And then everyone, anyone ever have like a, the worst experience at a restaurant? Anyone ever yelp about it? You were so angry, or Google review it, you're so bad, right? That's our culture. 
we are trained in our culture to think we're consumers and everything's about us. And the problem is we bring that mentality to church. When someone tells me about a new restaurant, these are the questions I ask. Maybe you can relate. How close is it? Is it close by? I can't be bothered by go that, go that far. Is it busy? How busy? I have so much to do. My time is so important. Is it cheap? How cheap? Bargains make me feel powerful. Do I get a lot? How much? I need to feel pampered like Cleopatra. Does it look nice? How nice? I need to feel like James Dean when I walk in the joint. Does it make me feel cool? I got to be cool because I'll die if it's cringe. I'm a three-wing eight. Is it luxurious? How luxurious? I only associate with luxurious brands. I'm so important and demand respect. And does the staff make a big fuss about my every whim? I need things to be just right. And we bring that mentality to church. It's almost ingrained. We, the businesses even say this. The customers always, you know. And you think church is about you. And you think everything that we do, the songs that we sing, it's, it's like ordering a steak. I want it well done, not medium. And everyone has their preference, their desires. And when you don't get it, what do you do? You yelp. I came to remind some people, church is not a place where you yelp. It's where you help. Because it ain't about you. Let me say something a little mean. No one cares what preference song you want to sing. Oh, I love when Ethan sings that song. I hate. This, the worship is not for you, bro. It's not. In the, in the, in the, the great theologian, Wayne Grudem, he wrote a book called Systematic Theology. It's one, of the, they, they, it's one of the greatest books on theology, they say, in the last hundred years that was written. He says the purpose of the church is threefold. Number one, it's for the glory and the worship of God. It's not about your preference, it's about him. Number two, the equipping of the saints. And the third purpose is to reach the lost. And we come to church and we're like, actually, I only like high energy songs. I hate when they're slow. I'm not going to engage. Or, you're like, I only like it when they're slow and it's acoustic. It's like, oh my God. I'm going to come five minutes late because I don't like when they're jump, jumping around. Because you think it's about you. And you yelp church instead of helping. Because you're, you think it's about you. The Westminster Catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created to know God and worship him. The most fulfilling life is not being great in the eyes of the world, but knowing Jesus. I wrote it like this, greatness is knowing God and serving him. It's counterintuitive. Even when we serve, we do it with, it's about me, how I feel. What, what are my preferences? And there was a story I read this last week that floored me. It's, a, it's an old parable. And it's about a cobbler. And the story, it's a classic work called The Shoes of Happiness about a cobbler named Conrad, and Conrad has a dream. And in the dream, Jesus is gonna come to him. And he invites all of his friends, he invites all of his family, he bakes all these cookies and cakes and pies, says, Jesus told me he's coming today to my little shoe shop. So all of you need to get the heck out of here because all of this stuff is for him, not for you. And this man waits hours and hours 
and the master never comes. But the master did not come. Instead, a beggar knocked at the door and asked for a pair of shoes. Conrad was irritated by the interruption, but his kind heart could not let him ignore the needs of the old man. A little later, another knock sounded, and Conrad was sure this was the master. But it was an old, hungry old woman carrying a basket of load of sticks. She asked for food, which Conrad reluctantly gave her. The only food he had was what he had prepared for the master. With each bite, Conrad's heart sank. He feared that she would eat everything. And she secretly hoped that he secretly hoped she would leave a little. However, she devoured every crumb. A little later in the evening, a final knock at the door. Conrad's heart leapt within him, knowing at last this is the master. But when he opened the door, it was a lost and crying child. Mister, I'm lost. Will you please help me find my home? At midnight, the hour approached. Conrad knew. I get, man, this story is so good. Conrad knew the master would not appear. It had only been a dream. The kind cobbler's heart was broken, and he was crushed with sadness. He fell to his knees, crying, "Lord, today was the day you were supposed to come. Why did you forget your servant?" And Jesus responded, "Lift your heart." For I've kept my word. Three times I visited you. I was the the beggar at the door. I was the old woman who was hungry, and I was the lost child. Church ain't about you. You didn't come to yelp. You came to help. And I know that you're hardwired for greatness. You can't do it your way. Number two. I didn't come to consume. I came to contribute. First Peter says this: "You also, that, that's you, are living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God ain't building a building; He's building a community, and He doesn't use bricks; He uses people. You are the church to be a, a holy priesthood. Someone say priesthood." Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In 1517, I believe it was, Martin Luther took the 95 theses and he nailed it to the walls of the Catholic Church. And the premise was, I don't need a priest. I am one. That's the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. In Catholic Catholics, they come to the to the priest who prays for you, who loves you, who serves you, he gives you healing. But Jesus wanted you to be the priest. I think the American church is actually more Catholic than Protestant, because the average church in America is 75 people. Do you know why? That's how many one person can love and serve. Because everyone wants to watch the pastor work while we all spectate and watch. But Jesus wanted to flip the script. Y'all are the priests. What does that make you, Pastor Ali? I'm the coach. I'm Bill Belichick. I'm on the sidelines, coaching you, training you. Who's the spectator? God is. It's different. The American church, 
Do you know in 2019 was right before COVID, they did one study where they realized every year 4,500 churches are closing and only 3,000 are opening. They haven't done the studies since COVID, but they estimate it's 10,000 a year now. And I go, oh my gosh, the church is so weak. No, 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 we're so weak. The church is dying because we're consuming. I wrote down like this, maybe this will challenge you. Consumers ask, what can the church do for me? Priests ask, what can I do for the church? I love that when we were walking around trying to be Instagram influencers, trying to be great, Jesus didn't rebuke us for our desire to be great. He just turns us around. And then he does something that's confusing if you don't understand it. Look what he says in the very next verse. He took a little child. Why is Jesus changing the subject? He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Why is Jesus changing the subject? It feels that way. But he's bringing the point home even deeper. Uh, my wife and I, were, we love to get away without the kids. That's, that's Disneyland for us. And uh, I remember in COVID, this is like August 2020, we're tired, we're overwhelmed, and my board said, you and your wife need to go away for a few days. Choose, do you want the beach or a pool? And because we're spirit-filled, we went to the beach. And we spent two days at a spa, like a hot spring, and there was all these families there, and we felt guilty for not taking our kids, but it was so relaxing. And there was this one family with three kids. And if you ever have one, one is hard. Two is drowning. The third, you just throw it on top of the pile. It's just pit fire of craziness. And this dad was swimming, and none of his kids had life vests, and none of them knew how to swim. I'm like, this is, I need to go be the lifeguard for this family. Because the kids would jump, and the dad would grab them, put them back. And these kids, they knew they didn't know how to swim. They'd jump in, like, smiling, and they start sinking, because they knew their dad would pick them up, right? And I counted. I'm like, one, like, it was like 15 times. I had anxiety. I had closed my eyes. I had so much anxiety. What was crazy is that none of the kids ever thanked the dad. That's why Jesus talks about children. Because when you have a heart of a servant, you're never going to get thanked. You're never going to get a thank you card. Those kids never said, thank you. We honor you. We love you, dad. They expected it. That's what Jesus wants you to understand. The way you know you have a heart of a servant is how do you behave when you're treated like one? You're quiet because it's the truth. We want to be great. We want to be known. We look down on the people that we see in the party like, oh my gosh, do they not have busy lives? No, they're just as busy as you. They got crazy kids just like you. And the greatest people in this church are the dream team. I just want to honor them for a second. Can we just honor the dream team? And I think Jesus talked about kids because he wants us to realize that's how he served us. How many times did Jesus rescue me and I never said thank you? How many times did he serve me and I, I did it with an entitled attitude? And he didn't stop serving me because I didn't have the right. That's who he is. 
Jesus is the greatest leader in human history, not because he's famous, because he's the greatest servant, because he's greater than William Wallace, who died for his country. Jesus died for humanity. And he didn't die for us when we were in church. He died for us when we were his enemies, when we were cursing him, when we didn't want him. That's what makes him great. He served us when we didn't deserve to be served. And I'm sure if you notice in the book of Acts, the first 10 chapters, they weren't actually called Christians. They're called followers of the way. Because Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you knew you were talking to a Christian because the way they did life was different than you. The way that they loved their enemies was different than you. The way they served was different. Do you know why we have hospitals? It was because Christians stayed and served people. Why do we have adoption agencies? Because Christians says we'll take care of them. Red Cross, you, every time there's a disaster, 75% of the money is given by who? Christians. Because we're followers of the way. Jesus gave his life, his blood, and we follow his way and example. And it's weird when we're Christians and we don't serve. It's weird. I remember I was coming back from a missions trip. And we were coming back from Turkey because we had spent three weeks there. And we spent 12 hours in France. And we needed to get out of the airport because we had an American passport. And we just wanted to go, like, travel and see. And there was this table that said help desk with this woman behind it. I was like, ma'am, can you please tell me how to get out of the airport? And she's just looking at me. And you know, when someone doesn't speak English, we think by speaking louder and slower, they'll understand. Ma'am, do you know how to get out of the airport? She probably thought I was stupid. <laughs> some, some local sees me, comes over, talks to her, because actually she doesn't speak English. Apparently, she's sitting behind the help desk. And they start talking more. She's not even an employee of the airport. She's just sitting here. That's what the world looks at, feels like when we say we're followers of Jesus, but we don't serve like him. They're like, why are you behind the desk then? You're supposed to be a follower of the way. Everyone wants to be great. No one wants to serve. I'll let the Holy Spirit talk to you. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I know this is a heavy and hard message, and I don't need to give them action steps, God. You will. God, I thank you that you place greatness in every single person in this room a desire to be known, a desire to be great. But God, let us redirect that greatness, not towards ourselves, but towards you. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you don't rebuke us for this desire. You just give us a new pathway. God, forgive us that we, we think it's about us. God, forgive us that we think we're supposed to be consumers when you've called us to be contributors. Pray, Jesus, for those that want to take a next step in their faith. There are some people in this room, Jesus, that have gone in their hearts. They've said yes to Jesus, but they haven't gone public. God, would you help them fill out a connect card and check the box baptism? 
It's not about you. It's about him. It's about celebrating what he's done in your heart. There are others, Jesus, that they've been coming to this church for a while. And it's time that they join the dream team. It's time they become great according to the way the scriptures tell us to be. Help them fill out that connect card and check that box, growth track. But God, there's others in this room that are exploring what Christianity is all about. And before they can serve, they need to realize they were first served. That Jesus took his robe of greatness off, left heaven, and came to serve you. He washed your feet. He washed away your sin. Not with water, by the way, but with his blood. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He served us when we didn't thank him. He served us when we didn't honor him. Because that's what parents do for their kids. You love them anyways. Christianity is less a religion and more a relationship with this living God. And in a moment, on every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to encourage you, if you want to take your first step of starting a relationship with Jesus, this living God, I want to pray a prayer in a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer in your heart. If that's you this morning, and you want to start a relationship with the living God named Jesus, who Time Magazine says is the greatest person in human history, that you can't even tell time. It's 2022. What's zero? His birth. But he's great of what he did spiritually. Just say this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for dying on a cross for me. I repent and turn from my sin. I receive your free gift salvation. Thank you for serving me. Now I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to worship you. And as best I know how, I place my faith in you. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time on the count of three with every head closed, every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Amen, amen, amen. Can we celebrate? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.